This is Tony Warner, and you are listening to the Fulham Focus Podcast. Welcome to the Full and Focus podcast. My name is Matt Boisclair and I'm here to discuss our second defeat in a row, this time to Preston at Deepdale on Tuesday night. The week just gets worse too as the club have been charged by the FA for failing to control their players for their reaction to a penalty decision that we didn't get at home to Bristol City on Saturday afternoon. Joining me to talk it through, firstly is Moncton FC's number one. He's our very own Father Christmas with his bulging sack full of stats. It's Matt Arter. How's things, Stato? Hello, I'm, I'm good, thank you. I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good too, mate. Thank you. Also <laughs> joining me, fresh from polishing his red nose, he's the Rudolph to Stato Santa White Christmas. It's Focus stalwart Matt Baldwin. Good evening, Baldo. Evening. I was wondering where you were going to go with that intro after you introduced Sato with his sack full of something, but you didn't go down that route, so I applaud you there. The innuendo was I almost did. It, it took a rewrite last night, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's um, let's have a little look at the defeat to Preston. Fulham. Right, lads. So before we go any further, um, let's just talk about that FA charge. Stato, did you see that coming? Yeah, I mean, as pony as the ref was, um, the players did kind of get on his back, and the FA loves defending like the ref. So it, we we knew it was coming, but you know, it's one that we can take on the chin because the players had the right to be so annoyed. Yeah, I agree. What about you, Baldo? Um, somewhat surprised, mainly because you know the night before during the pressing game they announced that the um that the, the uh, referees board or whatever the phrase is had basically issued an apology to Fulham basically saying yeah we got that wrong so the fact that we then get charged afterwards for basically complaining about what should have been given even though the F whoever is in charge said we were right to complain is just a little bit weird I was expecting it because of the way the players reacted but a bit surprised that it came yeah, it's, it is frustrating and this sort of thing goes on every week and it's just frustrating when it happens to us but you just would like to see the, the officials held to be more accountable when they get things wrong like that because players are passionate, especially at that stage of the game. But anyway, let's put that to bed. Um, let's talk about Preston. So there were two changes in personnel from the side that lost to Bristol City. And to be honest, Don Love wasn't too wide of the mark with his left field idea in the pod earlier in the week as there were a few surprises. Joe Bryan was left out on the bench as Dennis Adoy moved to left back. Cyrus Christie played right back and the other change was AK-47 coming in for Tom Kearney, who was reportedly ill again. I'm not going to ask you what you made of the lineup, as it was to change around anyway, uh, you know, soon after kickoff, what with what happened. Um, but what was your first feeling when you saw it? Baldo, you said you were scared just before seven o'clock when the lineup was announced. Yeah, me, I was mainly scared uh, by the fact that Josh Onimer was playing and he came in for a lot of stick. Some of, it, some of it quite rightly, some of it quite wrongly um, in the chat, sort of, both before the game and as the game was going along. So I was just you know, worried by the fact that by the fact that Onimo was starting, if, I, if I'm being brutally honest, because I'm not I'm not the biggest fan of him. And he had some 
again, he had some good moments during the game, but he had a lot of bad moments as well. So I think I was quite rightly justified in being scared about him being included. And Stato, I know you're not Onoma's biggest fan either, but what was what was your feeling? Were you confident when you saw that lineup? Um, I was a bit confused, to be honest, because it didn't help with the typographic that the um, Fulham admin used to show up the lineup. Like it, it was just like a list of players um, by squad number numerically. So I kind of spent about five minutes trying to decipher who would be playing where and what the lineup was. And when we figured that bit out, it, yeah, it just looked weak. And I think that's largely down to all the injuries we have at the moment. So who would have thought we would have had a midfield crisis in December? But here we are. Yeah, you're right. And it's, it's only going to get worse as well with, with the suspension that, we, that we've got, which we'll talk about just in a moment. Um Early stages of the game, there was an early chance for Mitro, who created his uh, who created space with his back to goal. He dragged it just wide, and I don't think the goalkeeper was getting there. Uh, but despite looking like the better side in the early stages, it almost felt like a friendly, particularly with the atmosphere ball, though. Yeah, I don't. I you sort of, you've sort of written this, uh, sort of mentioned a friendly, particularly with the atmosphere, basically about what's going to happen in a cup in a couple of minutes' time. Yeah, I don't think anyone really quite expected, based off the first couple of minutes what then preceded it. Like if this was if this had happened against QPR, you know, week previously or, you know, Brentford on Saturday, then I wouldn't have expected it to escalate in the way it did. But yeah, you're absolutely right. The the way that it started basically I think took everyone by surprise with what with what came next, which we're going to talk about. Yeah, absolutely. The game did burst into life and 23 minutes in, Alfie Mawson's taken a heavy touch under no pressure on the edge of the Fulham penalty area. Josh Onoma did well to cover and concede a corner, but from that resulting corner, Preston scored the opening goal far too easily. Uh, it seems like we failed to learn our lesson from the weekend when we conceded easily from across. And I think Stato, you pointed out in your stats at the weekend that a lot of their goals do come from set pieces. Yeah, so when I did the stat file for Preston, I picked up that they score a lot of set piece goals, and that instantly made me worried because you know we're just shit at defending set pieces and just shit defending in general to be honest and it was just it was it was a pretty dead game with a dead atmosphere and you could just tell that Preston were going to score because especially I think about five minutes before the commentator said that Preston hadn't scored in seven hours it was like oh well of course they're going to score now and yeah it was just horrific defending as always horrific marking and it just feels like nothing's changed yeah, no, I, I completely take your point. Um, speaking of nothing changing, of course, Dennis Adoy uh, gets a ridiculous uh, red card for a clumsy tackle. I say ridiculous, ridiculous on his part. This time, the officials were right, in my opinion. Baldo, what did you what did you make of that stupid challenge from Adoy? Um, yeah, yeah, absolutely red card. I don't think any. I don't think anyone can quite sort of disagree with that. And. It sort of, again took took everyone by surprise, but when you go back, the the people on Sky mentioned it. This was his eleventh red card in his career, and I think his last red card, I think again they may mention it, was the was the playoff final against Aston Villa. And you think, where does this you know clumsiness come from? Because that was a bit of a stupid decision, and the one last night was a bit was again another stupid decision. You you just wonder what is going through his head when he's when he's thinking about when he's thinking about these sort of things and more importantly, why he isn't more aggressive when he's challenging for headers normally. Yeah. Um, that, it, the, the most annoying thing for me as well is that we spoke about Dennis Adoy on the podcast at the weekend 
and said how fantastic he looks at the moment. And then he goes and does something stupid like that. But we've also said previously that he's always got a mistake in him. You always feel like there's a mistake in him. So everything that he does brilliantly, he does let himself down on occasion. And I assume for a straight red card, that's going to be him out for the next three games. Um, so the reshuffle was that even Cavalero went off. Um, Joe Bryan came on uh, for uh, for him in the left-back position. And the early game plan Scott Parker had was completely scuppered. Although a few minutes after the Adoy red, should the referee have got his red card out again when Ben Pearson went in with a two-footed tackle on Josh Onimus, Stato? Absolutely. I mean, I, I, when I first saw that challenge, I was like, oh, that's, that was a bit of a heavy challenge, mm. probably a booking. And then you see the replays and he goes in with two feet studs up. That, that really could have broken, like, oh, who, who, who was it on? Was it on Cavalero, the challenge? No, 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 it was on no, Onimus. It was on Onimus, wasn't it? Cavalero went off. It had gone off, hadn't he? Yeah, it could have broken his legs. I mean, yeah. that was reckless. Um, and then obviously they did get a red card later on, which I feel the ref kind of felt like he had to give that because he missed out on that one. But yeah, that was a shocking challenge. Yeah, well, let's let's come straight on to the red card then. Um, right on half time, Joe Rafferty was extremely late on Joe Bryan on the halfway line. The, the ball wasn't really going anywhere. And all of a sudden it's 10 v 10 and it's game on, Baldo. Yeah, oddly enough, I wouldn't have been surprised or wouldn't have been that disappointed, angry if uh, if uh, the one on Joe Bryan had been a yellow because I didn't think that one was as bad as the ones yeah. that, that had gone previously. Which I know we talked, you know, mainly in the Bristol City review, and I'm sure countless other times before, and I'm sure we will have countless times season. But it's just the refereeing standard in in this division is just so poor. And you, you can't use that as an excuse, but there are certain times when you just think, how differently could it have been if we had you know some competency, basically? But yeah, and then with the 10v10, as we talked about, that means the game don't, the game opened up, and that means more space. That's really when you wanted Ivan Caviero, and you can't yeah. really blame Scott Parker mm. for it because he didn't know what was going to happen next. But you think in 2020, it would have been much better to have brought off a central midfielder ideally on him, but I know he gets a lot of stick, um, and have him re- uh, be replaced by Joe Bryan instead. Then you've still got your back four. You've got a midfield three of Caviero, Johansson and Knockhart, and you've still got the two up top in uh, Vicevic and Kamara. You could even uh, put Kamara on one of the wings as well and shift Knockhart or Caviero into the centre. So many options there, but you just, again, you can't really blame Scott Parker too much because it's all reactionary, but it's still somewhat baffling the way that it all played out after that. Yeah, very frustrating that Scott Parker didn't have his crystal ball with him. Um, you mentioned AK-47 there, and right after half time, we saw the two sides of, of AK-47 in one move. He got away from his man, left his man for dead, and then from the edge of the box, he's had a shot and put it on the M6. Immediately afterwards, Dave Nugent should have made it 2-0, but hit his volley straight at Rodak. Cue the Sky commentator saying, well, David Nugent hasn't scored in 41 games, much like Preston haven't scored in seven hours. A few seconds later, the ball's in the back of the net. Alfie Mawson surely must have done better than that, uh, Stato. Yeah, it, it was just a bit of a mess. Um, Rodak, he's made a lot, he made like a lot of saves in that game, by the way. He... Deserves a fair shout out, but he made that original save and it kind of like looped up into the air. And you're Alfie Mawson, you're some big centre back, and you're against a 34 year old David Nugent. 
and you can't win a header when you need like a, a header that's coming around onto the goal line and you can't win it. That's it's very poor from him. And then there was just a simple tapping from Nugent after that. Um, he he didn't have a great game, did he, Mawson? He just there's um, there was no surprise that he got taken off. I know it was a tactical one to get more attacker on, but kind of says something that he was the one to get taken off rather than Ream. So yeah, it was it was a poor game from him. Yeah, and just touching on and just touching on the second goal, and we saw we saw briefly uh, gone past the first goal, but it's the same sort of point. And it was a point that I was making in the in the Bristol City review uh, review piece um, that our centre backs aren't exactly the most physically dominating in the air, and that was sort of proven. Um, that was sort of proven for both their goals. You think? I know everyone is is waiting for Michael Hector to turn up as if he's going to be the you know the knight in shining armor that will solve all our problems. But I do think he would have been excellent there because he's more physical, he's taller, he's you know better in the air than that. He would have done better for the first goal, and I think he would have done much better for Alfie Morrison on the second goal because, as I've said, they're not they don't seem to be the most physically imposing of centre backs, which is what you want, which is what we've sort we sort of became accustomed to with the likes of. Brayda Hangland and to an extent Zach Knight and then you're going beyond my ears I'm sure but Claire will sort of back me up on this you had dominant centre-halves but we don't seem to be have, we don't seem to have that anymore Chris Come on, Mr exactly. Wales Chris Coleman Andy Melville Kit Simons <laughs> I know I wanted, you to take those, I wanted you to take those reins that was all um, but yeah but, but the point but the point still stands our centre-backs just are you know are too focused and this is the modern game are too focused on starting attacks and nice passing and intricacy rather than the art of basically being physical and being defenders. Yeah, you're completely right. And Alfie Mawson, while he's gone about his business quite quietly this season and hasn't really made any mistakes of note up until yesterday, he doesn't really look like a £15 million defender, certainly not at this level. And those two mistakes, the first one particularly, under absolutely no pressure to miscontrol the ball, um, and then yesterday, as, as both of you have said, he should have won that header. He shouldn't have been out muscle so easily. He was rightly taken off. Uh, we switched to three at the back in the 69th minute. On came Niskins Cabano, and I thought he was probably our best player on the night for the 20 minutes he was on the pitch. The back three was uh, Cyrus Christie, Joe Bryan and Tim Ream. Um, Stato, I'm going to come to you. At this point in the game, we're 2-0 down. It's 10 v 10. We've gone three at the back. Did you still think that we could get something out of the game? Um, no, uh, whilst, whilst you're watching that game and the longer it went on, you kind of sense that we weren't really in it at all. I mean, we had a lot of the ball, but we weren't doing anything with it. And then when Parker made that change, I, I, I didn't understand the tactics or anything surrounding that at all. He just kind of took off a defender to put on an attacker and it was just a bit of a free for all. Um, you know, I, I somewhat blame Parker for that, but at the same time, it, it's an unusual situation to be 10 v 10 in a football game. You don't really see that. Obviously, he did the reactionary change to go down when he took Cavalero off because it was a reaction to going down to 10. But for then the opposite team to then go down to 10 as well, you don't normally see that. So then it's a bit of a tough one to gauge, you know, how how do you play it if you're 10 v 10 and 2 0 down? Um, so it felt a bit just, like, I don't want to say YOLO, but just. Mm. just Fuck it, go for it, take off a defender yeah. and just see what happens. And it, it kind of worked, but that was mainly down to Cabano having a good game and not really down to the tactics, I'd say. I think so, but we did we did have some chances. We did begin to rally towards the end. Steph Joe hit the bar, then Josh Onima mm. sliced a shot, a low shot wide. 
Um, then Mitro went close with the outside of his boot before he finally buried one in the 81st minute after good work from Cabano. Um, they kept on about it on Sky Bordeaux, but Mitrovic always scores against Preston. He does, and I feel you know we've been very critical of a lot of players and Josh Honor to begin with, but I think he needs to get a little bit of praise for this for the work that he did uh, in and around the box to basically start to start the counter attack. I think you know we criticise him quite rightly, so I think it's fair that we praise him quite rightly as well. So, well done to Josh Honor for you know, <clears throat> starting that attack. I just want a little bit. I just want that a lot more often. That's all I can say about Josh Honor. Yeah, and Mitrovic, you've really. There's only so many superlatives you can have regarding Alexander Mitrovic because, yes, he scored against Preston, but where would we be without him? I think it's something you've talked about uh, pl- plenty on this on this podcast. And where, where would we be without him? We'd be, we'd be in dead lumber without him. So let's just thank our lucky stars that we have him. But even so, there were points yesterday where he just didn't look all that interested. <clears throat> and that's still a bit of an attitude problem that I... As I mentioned in the Birmingham reaction piece, that's just not quite the attitude I want for my captain, if I'm being honest. And he was captain yesterday in Kenny's absence. I think about Mitro, I think everybody's so focused this season on going up because if we don't go up, we will lose Mitrovic. That's that's all anybody talks about. It's not that, you know, the club needs to go up because that's where we belong or that's where we deserve to be. It just seems to be we need to go up to keep Mitrovic. And, you know, bigger men have, have come and gone before at this club. We, you know, we've had Johnny Haynes at this club, for goodness sake, one of the biggest legends this country ever produced many years ago. Louis Saha, um, probably a more complete player than Mitrovic, who we lost and we bounced back. We would bounce back if we didn't go up this season and Mitro left. But it's just because everybody loves the guy, I think. Um, but there's other reasons why we why we should be focusing on going up, not just because we're going to lose people like Mitrovic. I think um, I think the initial worry around that is we may lose Mitrovic, we may lose, but then we'll also lose a lot of the players that we the whole buy to loan players we have, the Cavaleros, the Knockarts, the Harry Arters, that would we're only going to get on a permanent if we get promoted, and if that doesn't happen, and then we lose all of those players, it's just suddenly a humongous rebuilding job that we face. And I don't know, I think again, that's though, that's. A lot. That's always the danger when you loan players. Mm. But, I, th- but I think it's—I I just think it's more prevalent now. And I know this this isn't the episode to be talking about the rights and wrongs of the cards, but I do think they have been guilty of basically looking too far into the short term. Like when we first got up that January transfer window, getting in the loan players like Matt Target, like Mitrovic, uh, Norwood. If you want to go back, if you want to go back to the summer, then the summer we were in the Premier League where we spent 100 million was all done to basically to stay up this season or that season rather. Now with the signings we brought in in this, in this summer just gone, it's all about getting up now with, with the loan players. So I, so I think everyone, I think we're quite rightly concerned about as, you know, as Matt Harter pointed out, it's not just Mitrovic we're going to be losing. We're going to be losing a lot more players. We're based more or less half the squad when you think about it. That's why I think everyone's sort of concerned about getting out because we have a young, a youngish core that we can build around now, but it would just go back, basically going to have to go back to square one if we don't get promoted this season. All right. Well, Anthony Knockhart is one of those lone players of whom you speak. Um, he came off right at the end of the game for Luca Della Torre. Um, random substitution to make um, that late in the game. And it was a very disappointing end to the game in actual fact, because short of or instead of kicking on, uh, which we should have done having scored, Preston ended up looking like the more likely team to score. And I really thought they were going to get a third stat. So. Yeah, I mean, that Dead substitution was just pointless. I don't understand why he did that. I mean, just 
there was what two oh well, we're going into added times so there were six minutes but just keep knockout on i know we didn't have the best of games but there's no point in just bringing a sub that sub on and slowing the game down and not even though i could play who can you can think you can get a go it's the youngster delatore who you know, he hasn't really done much yet and hasn't really proven himself so that was a weird one and yeah Towards the end, because we had, were playing three at the back and essentially just playing one proper centre-back in Ream and having Christie and Brian as makeshift centre-backs, of course Preston were going to go and get us in the counter-attack. And yeah, they could have scored, not if not for Rodak, to be honest. Yeah. So, bizarre uh, line-up aside and bizarre substitutions aside, um, what is your Scott Parker rating this week for the defeat away at Preston Stato? So uh, it wasn't great from Parker, but I'll give him the benefit that he didn't have much choice because of the injuries and suspensions we had. So uh, four. Four. And you've given him the benefit of the doubt as well. Yeah. Okay. All right. Go on, Baldo. Oh, that makes me that makes me feel weird because I was gonna be I was gonna be generous and give him a five because oh. again, as as Matt Arthur said, there's you know, his hands were tied somewhat with the injuries. And with Dennis Adoy being sent off, it did you know? There's only there's only so much you can you can put on him. And again, some of the players with some of the decisions on the pitch, you have to take that away from him. You know, with Onimo with his uh, wayward shot, Kamal with his wayward shot, so on and so forth. But I just think some of his decisions during the game, like the Onimo substitution, like the knockout substitution, so on and so forth. It just it was his game management during the game. That I think really let him down, so I'm gonna I'm gonna give him a five. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, I think I'd agree with you with the five, but he was without Harrison Reed, Harry Arter, Tom Kearney, Bobby Reed. You know, players that are going to be certainly pushing for a start, if not, you know, going definitely to start. So, um, yeah, I'm going to give him a five, um, but I, I don't want to fall into the trap of being one of those people who, when whenever we lose. Uh, getting on Scott Parker's back and then singing his name for winning. I think, you know, we need a bit of stability, as I've said uh, on this show for months now. Um, and just because we've lost a couple of games in an important week, um, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to change my mind. So I'm, I'm still fully behind Scott Parker, but it wasn't wasn't the best from him. So I'm going to give him a five. Um, so the next game is at Brentford on Saturday, and we are going to preview that in just a second. All right, lads, so it's our last ever trip to Griffin Park on Saturday. Our beloved rivals, Brentford, the best of records against Brentford, um, certainly in more recent years. Stato, I'm going to come to you first. Any Brentford memories, memorable games that stick out with our horrible old rivals? So this probably goes to show how youngish I am, but the only times I remember playing Brentford are recently when we got relegated, to be honest. Um, And I think the first game we played would have been that League Cup game under Felix McGaff, which was one of the only wins we got under him. And I just remember that because that was our first and only win under him in that dreadful season. And everyone was thinking, oh, we're going to kick on now and get some more wins, but that didn't happen. Um, and then I think the match last year, the one all that really did stick out because, you know, we were 1-0 for so long. And I remember I wasn't watching the game, but I was, I was um, just out and about and I kept refreshing that Twitter feed, like saying just, see the full-time results, see it go, and then, boom, Neil Morpay in the 93rd or 4th minute or something. So, yeah, we don't have the best of record against them in recent times, do we? 
they celebrated like they won the league that day as yeah. well. It was a proper cup final for them, and they really thought that they they stopped us from going up, but we showed them. Um, anyway, Baldo, what about you? Any Brentford memories that stick out? Um, yes, one particularly for me. Um, it was a couple of seasons ago. I think this was our second year down in the championship. Um, uh, we drew with them 2-2, but my abiding memory was um, I was invited onto the pitch at half-time to do a, um, pe- a, penalty, a dizzy penalty shootout. Um, <laughs> How I have you not heard about this before? Yeah, this is news. You must, have, you must have been there. You must have seen it. But yeah, basically the whole thing was, um, I don't know if it was quite on the penalty spot, maybe on the edge of the 18-yard box, I'm not sure. But you had to have your hand on the ball and spin round 10 times. Um, it was a it was a particularly wet day, so I think I managed to slip over just just the once, um, and then obviously spin around it ten times, and then put the ball put the ball into the net, um, which thankfully I managed to do. But my but my by memory of this was this was my going to be my one and only chance to ever score at the Hammersmith end, which I'm sure is every Fulham fan's you know, lifelong dream and everything. So I gave it the full Tom Kearney knee, uh, knee slide uh, right at the Hammersmith end. <laughs> Afterwards, and because I was so disorientated, I didn't find this out until afterwards. I was about I was about three inches away from hitting the post because I didn't have my bearings yeah. and angles quite right. So it could have been it could have been incredibly disastrous, but it turned out to be fantastic. So that's my abiding memory. But so um, you were you would have hit the post yourself, or your shot would have hit the post. No, I would have hit the post in my <laughs> knees. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant, superb stuff. And had you had your obligatory sausage and chips beforehand, because that could have been embarrassing as well, puking that up. All over the pitch, it could it could have as well, but um, <laughs> thankfully it didn't go. And I still have um, basically everyone, everyone who scored that day, basically everyone did, got a uh, signed uh, signed ball by the first team, and I've still got that uh, up on my mantelpiece. In fact, I'm looking at it right now. Uh, so I've always, so I'll always have that memory uh, with me right before I go to bed. Fair enough. Okay, I wasn't expecting that, but okay, good, good, good stuff. That's good memory. Um, I'm going to go back to um, 1998 at Griffin Park for my memory. Um, we had a um, we had a friendly, a fans friendly with Brentford before before this game, um, and we beat them two 0 And then we went to Griffin Park afterwards, and we beat them two 0 as well. Paul Moody scored both goals, and it was Mickey Adams who was in charge of Brentford that day, and he'd taken a lot of our promotion squad with him as well. He had Glenn Cockrell, Paul Watson, Danny Cullip. Um, and we turned them over, Paul Moody, who Mickey Adams had signed for Fulham before he was sacked, obviously, and before Keegan and Wilkins came in. Um, but Paul Moody was still being used. And again, we've, I've mentioned this a few times before in recent weeks with some of my other memories, but this was the same season in which we didn't get promotion because we lost out in the playoffs to Grimsby, despite spending all that money. So good memory, though. Good, Always good to win at Griffin Park. And let's hope we can repeat that this weekend. All right, so we're going to come on to the lineup now, um, and I'm going to come to you first, Stato, to ask you what you think it might be. Um, expect the unexpected, I guess, at the moment. Who knows what Parker's next trick's going to be? Yeah, so I guess if Rodak can go, Christie would have to play right back. Mawson, Ream, Bryan would be the defence, and that's not out of choice, but because we kind of have to, because I, I don't know who else. Maybe Stephen Sess could come back, but I doubt it at this point. Midfield, uh, it depends who's fit, to be honest. Def Joe will be a dead cert because he's been playing well and we need him. Um, I don't want to say Onomar, but he's going to play because we have no other midfielders available. Although I say that, there is a perfectly capable Ibrahim Assisi in the reserves and we have a midfield crisis. So 
there is no time like the present. Forgotten all about him, the forgotten man. I mean, it's a bit ridiculous that we have we do have this midfield crisis, and either Parker doesn't like him or Cesar's got a really bad attitude, which I think is probably the latter. But come didn't on. he come in around about this time last year? I seem to remember him playing at Old Trafford, and then he played at Arsenal as well on New Year's Day, and he did yeah, all right. He did. He, he wasn't like he wasn't terrible. I mean, we were pretty shit last year, but yeah. he wasn't the worst player on the pitch, and you know we kind of need midfielders. So, Ibra. <laughs> Please wake up if, you, if you're yeah. Right. But no, probably, yeah, it, it won't be him. Um, I would hope to see Kenny back because he was ill, whatever that means. So it'll probably be, yeah, it'll probably be Johansson, Kenny, Onama, and Mitro, Cavalero, AK 47 is my guess. Yeah, you reckon Knockout's going to be left out, do you? Potentially, because if we do play go for Kenny, Onama, Johansson. Out of Kamara, Knockart and Cavalera, I think Knockart is kind of third behind them at the moment. Okay. And we'd like to see Baldo, Baldo, any changes? To that? Um, no, you've basically taken, taken the team right out of my mouth. I'm trying to think if there is any other option other than Josh Onoma, but I really can't think of one unless uh, the likes of Reed or Arta or maybe even, maybe even Ken McDonald. Um, yeah. If you push Stephanie Hansen slightly further up and have McDonald in the defensive midfield role, maybe that's an option. But yeah, I think you've, I think you more or less, you more or less pick the team. Um, so yeah, it's yeah, which is a fine team, it must be said. But there's still Josh Onomer in midfield, and that worries me very much. If he, it depends if we get a good Josh Onomer, if we get a bad Josh Onomer, and based and on the evidence, we're more likely to get a bad one than a good one. Could we give Matt O'Reilly a shout? I mean, he, we've heard lots of good things about him. I haven't seen personally seen All anything. Of- Amazing, but we've heard good things. Or, or Delatore. Delatore. Either, yeah. either of them. I don't know about him. don't know about Luca Delatore, but anyway, let's... Uh... It, feels like, it feels like he's been at the club for ages, but he's still only like yeah. 19. He's just he's just on the bench every now and then. Yeah, uh, I've seen him in a few friendlies over the years and he doesn't really stand out to me at all. He just... Yeah. I, I, I would have expected him to go out on loan at least by, by now, but seemingly not, so... Anyway, okay, well, we can only hope that Bobby Reed and Harrison Reed might be available as well. I think Harry Arter is potentially more long-term, but if we can start getting some of these players back, because Dennis Adoy is going to be out for this one, he's going to be out for Leeds, and he's going to be out for Luton away. So we're not going to see Dennis again until whoever it is between Christmas and New Year. Um, is it Stoke? I can't remember, to be honest. I might, yeah, no, I think it might be, might be Stoke at home. I can't remember. Anyway, um, all right. Well, as I said earlier, it's the last time we will ever have to go to Griffin Park. Will either of you be sad to see uh, the old shit hole go? Uh, not really. I mean, yeah, it's Brentford are rivals, but I don't really care for their stadium. Um, I don't really care for their new stadium either. So right, it's right, right next to it, isn't it? Right as you come yeah. over the, uh, the the flyover, it's right there. What about you, Baldo? No, I, I've only I only ever went there once. Now was to see Cardiff in a preseason friendly. Didn't really like it. It's a bit of a dump. Um, lot, you know, the, the it's you know, it's being demolished about a hundred years too late, in my view. And quite so, yeah. <laughs> not not really bothered. I'm quite fascinated to see what the new stadium looks like because it's a new stadium, but it's a small new stadium because they have small fan base for a small club. So I'm quite fascinated to see how that how that works. 
Um, yeah, but in terms of Griffin Park, no. The fact, the one fact that anyone ever talks about is the fact that it's got four, it's got a pub on each corner. The fact that the mm. pubs are the most fascinating thing about it really shows you how bad of a ground it is. I don't think that's even true anymore. I think one of the pubs is closed. Oh, boohoo then. Oh. <laughs> I'm sure they're all going to close because everyone's going to move up. They're not going to go there every Saturday at three o'clock. So, that, so they're all going to go. Oh, well, no big deal. All or both of them are going to go. Let's let's put it that way, shall we? Anyway, let's look at the stats. Um, uh, so Fulham and Brentford have met 58 times with Fulham winning 21 games and Brentford winning 20. So it's, it's fairly even, although in the more latter years, um, Brentford uh, have unfortunately had the better of us. Um, we've only won one of the last eight meetings with Brentford and we've not won at all in the last three meetings either. Uh, the last time out was the 1-1 draw, which we spoke about earlier uh, in the show. It was match 21 of the unbeaten run as we were promoted in 1718. Mitro scored that day with a shot that flew in off the post, but Neil Morpé scored that last-minute winner. Sorry, that last-minute equaliser. Um, the other match that season at Griffin Park, we lost 3-1. I believe Dennis Adoy was sent off in that game as well. <laughs> um, the last 10 away games at Griffin Park, we have won five of. Um, but the last away win we had there was in November 2016 with Sonia Luco and Tom Kearney getting the goals that day. Uh, between 1994 and 2014, there's been six meetings between the two sides. Um, Fulham have four wins and two draws. All four of those wins um, have been at Griffin Park. Is that right? Yeah. Six, we've, we've met them more than six times. We must have met them more than six times. Not between 94 no. and 2014. Oh, okay. Um, all right, former players or amongst the former players that have played for both Fulham and Brentford, uh, you've got David Button, Alfie mm. Mawson. <laughs> Alfie, are you booing David Button or Alfie Mawson? Al- Al- uh, David Button, absolutely. I can't stand <laughs> that. Like. Uh, Marcelo Trotter, Ryan Fredericks, Michael Turner, and Steve Sidwell. Um, I'm going to come to you, Stato. Um, give us some Brentford stats from this season. Yeah, so um, at the moment, they're kind of flirting with the playoffs as they have done for the last few seasons at the moment they're averaging 1.5 points per game although the last eight games they've played that's gone up to 1.9 points per game um and likewise on average they score 1.5 goals per game but in the last eight games it's gone up to 2.25 goals but that is largely down to the fact that two games ago they did beat Luton 7-0 so that's probably bumped up their goal scored averaged quite a bit um they're quite good defensively. So they've had seven clean sheets in 20 games. Um, of those 20 games, they've had nine wins. Um, they're playing tonight. So as we're recording this, this is a Wednesday evening. So they'll be kicking off soon. So it could be eight, 10 wins. Who knows? Who they, Do we know who they're playing? I can't remember. Um, so yeah, there were, there were nine wins at the moment. Um, of those nine wins, they've kept six clean sheets. Um their best winning run so far was winning three on the bounce. Um, other than that, they've just kind of won twice consecutive, consecutively and then they've had the odd win here or there. So as it stands, they've lost the last game. They're playing tonight. There's there's, there's no really any kind of correlation there at all. Uh, looking at their home form quickly, because we're playing them um, at Griffin Park, they've won 44% of their games. They've scored 16 and conceded six. Um, they've only led at, they've only led at half time in two of their home games, um, and they've conceded sixty seven percent of their goals 
in the second half. So that's when we we looking to score. Typically, they play a four three three, and seventy percent of their goals have come from open play, which is kind of the polar opposite to what Preston were like. Nailed on win for Fulham then. All right, Baldo, I'm going to come to you. Who are their players to watch this season? Um, well, I think the, the the key battle, if you want to put it this way, the, the main battle of the day is basically going to be Alexander Mitrovic versus Pontus Janssen, who's their big centre-back, um, who, I re- who I really do like. I thought I thought he was an excellent signing for them in the summer. Uh, the big Swede joined from Leeds. Uh, and again, I thought Leeds were going to miss out hugely by missing him. Um, yeah, 1.4 interceptions a game. Um, Pontus Janssen goes in the middle of the back three when they ever, whenever they change to a 3-4-3 three, three, although Art seems to think they'll go 4-3-3 three, three, so he'll be in there but Pontus Janssen basically seems to be the main man uh, for them in, in defence and then going forward um, I'm probably going to have to go with uh, Brian Mbuemo I hope I pronounced <laughs> that right I'm sure I haven't uh, but basically he's uh, one of their key attackers uh, uh, down, uh, down the flank so whoever's on our right side probably Cyrus Christie is going to be a good chance for him to step up because he's very much a threat for them six goals and three assists this season and he's got a, and he's got a lot of pace on him so it's going to be a bit of a tricky situation and a good battle should be another another interesting one to watch although I still think the main battle is going to be between Janssen and Mitrovic that should be a good old-fashioned centre-half v centre-forward one thing I do Great want to point out very quickly, um, most of their attacks, um, well, 38% come down the right side. And given we have a weak left side, that could be a cause for concern. So that's also another thing to to uh, look out for. Well, if Cavalero plays, he's really going to have to get back and help out then. All right, let's um, let's have a score prediction from you both then. Stato, what do you reckon? Are we going to bounce back? Uh <sighs> I don't know who we are, to be honest. I, I want to say we're going to win, but I can't see it. Um, so I'm going to go in between and two all draw. Okay. And Baldo, what about you? A similar sort of vein. I'm going to go for a one-one draw. Pers- uh, personally, I I can't I can't see us. I I didn't see much attacking emphasis from us. You know, even before the red card um, on Tuesday night against Preston, I I don't see what's going to change since then. So I can't see us being much of an attack uh, a threat uh, up top. So I, I I predict a one-one draw because we still can't defend properly. Well, form goes out the window, as the old cliche says when it comes to a, a London derby. I'm going to go for a one-nil Fulham win, and we're going to see Griffin Park off uh, in style. So three points for the Whites. We've got to bounce back for this one. We really have. All right. Well, cheers, lads, for joining me. Stato of Moulton got a game at the weekend. We do. It's our last one before Christmas. We're, play, we're playing the Dolphin. It's going to be a big game. The Dolphin. Yeah. Proper, proper public. Likely, likely to win that. Likely to win that. Uh, mate, we're, we're seven league games unbeaten in the bounce, so we want to end the year on a high. Come on the Moncton. Good man. Up the greens. All right. And Baldo? Baldo, you're off for your Griswolds family vacation, or are you just going on your own to the States? Where are you off to? Yeah, I'm just going on my own, going on a bit of a barnstorming tour around the uh, middle to uh, middle northeast. Basically, I'm just watching a lot of ice hockey and a lot of American football. Uh, I mean, I mean, a couple of people out there. Um, uh, one of the people, uh, one of the people from Fulham, Pittsburgh, who I'm going to be able to watch the game with. Uh, Sarah, uh, Sarah Schneid, I think her name is on Twitter. Uh, so I'm going to be meeting up with her and you know, and watching the Brentford game. So hopefully it'll be, um, base. Hopefully it'll be worth me getting up at stupid o'clock in the morning to go watch. Good man. Well, send our love to Sarah. All right, lads. Well, thanks ever so much for that. Thanks to everybody for listening at home. I hope Fulham aren't spoiling your festive preparations too much. 
We'll be back after the Brentford match to dissect it. In the meantime, as Mickey Adams used to say, keep the faith. See you soon. Cheers.